It is customary to preach from one of the Gospels when we come to this very momentous time on the Christian calendar called Easter Sunday. And as I said to those who met with me earlier this morning, I have been calling it Resurrection Sunday rather than Easter Sunday because the word Easter comes more from tradition while Resurrection Sunday speaks of the event that took place. Uh, I will not stop using the word Easter, but I think that it gives more potency to the word when it is describing what it is named after. The title for my message this morning is More Than a Rumor, More Than a Rumor. Because a rumor, according to the dictionary, is a piece of unverified information, information that is uncertain, uncertain in its origin as well as in its content, and it is spread by word of mouth. For example, if you hear that Winston Thurton is moving to Los Angeles, that's a rumor. There is nothing to it. It is something that someone has made up, not something that is based on facts. Other things can be said as well. The text this morning is going to be dealing with a rumor, but more than a rumor. It will be dealing with an event, an event that made the world something it had never been before, and it's a tragedy that we see a change taking place today, but not according to this event. So this morning, I trust that the Spirit of God will use His Word to move our lives, our hearts, to make this more than a rumor, but something that we are unashamed to declare as we live from day to day until Christ comes again. From the text that was read from 1 Corinthians and from the text this morning, we learn something about the rumor or the report of the resurrection. The resurrection has come to us by way of the scriptures. The scriptures. The word scripture in Hebrew as well as in Greek is a word that simply means that which is written. So that when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and Satan said to him, do this, do this, Jesus said, it is written, it is written. What he was doing, he was claiming the claims of scripture to be valid so that what scripture said was truly truth. It was not an opinion. It was not something that was made up by antiquity for the sake of preserving some kind of tradition. But the question may be asked, who wrote the scriptures? It has been said that man wrote the scriptures. Well, to a great extent, that is true. But I want to declare to you this morning as we move toward the whole event of the resurrection that the scriptures were written by two groups of people. The one is called the prophets. The prophets. That is not P-R-O-F-I-T. <laughs> That's what, no, I better leave that what that is. 
A prophet is a person who speaks under divine direction. He doesn't, he speaks, he uses the whole use of the organs given to him by God. But he's not speaking his opinion. What is written is consciously being given to him to speak on the behalf of one to another. Now, you may not be able to follow this through with all the texts I, I want to bring to you. But in 2 Samuel chapter 23, David, who is known as a prophet, is speaking. And David said this in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by or through me. His words were on my tongue and that's what I'm speaking to you. David is saying, it is true that I am the one speaking these words, but they do not originate with me. For example, in one psalm, David said, the Lord said to my Lord. How would he know that? Except it was given to him. And so when Jesus is speaking later on in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 43, he said, David spoke by the Spirit. And so when David was speaking, he spoke the things that God wanted to communicate to you and to me, and so he spoke. It was read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. Paul said, I declare to you that which the Scriptures declare that Jesus died for our sins. David, in Psalm 22, verses 1 to 20, spoke. And what he spoke in Psalm 22, you can read in the Gospels. He began Psalm 22 with the words which Jesus said on the cross. Jesus said, my God... My God, why have you forsaken me? David used those very words 10 centuries before as a prophet. That what he was speaking physically was going to be experienced by Jesus spiritually on the cross. So he was speaking as a prophet. That, 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 that what he was, was saying had its origin with one who is transcendent, beyond time, beyond sense, beyond feeling that is human. He's speaking as one on the divine direction from God. From Psalm 22, 21 to 31, David spoke of life after death. In Psalm 16, verse 10, and I'll talk with this later on, about this later on. Psalm 16, verse 10, he said, You will not leave your Holy One in the grave to see corruption. Because corruption was a sign of sinfulness. And had Jesus remained in the tomb, he would be declared a sinner and not a savior. Prophets spoke the scriptures and Paul said, I declare to you the scriptures that said that Jesus died. He didn't faint. 
He didn't swoon. He didn't wake up in the tomb. By the way, that's what intellectual men and women are saying today. But the scriptures do not say that. The scripture says he died. So certain was his death that Pilate was, a, was a, 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 amazed that he had died so readily. Because people who die on a cross usually take two, three days, and it was the delight of the Roman government to watch them decay, even on the cross, to make sure they were dead. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And so the soldier took the spear and put it in his side, and to prove his death from his side came blood and water. He was dead. The prophets said it. But Isaiah also said it. Isaiah was one of the main prophets as we call them. And in chapter 53, listen to it. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to, to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his day. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The one who suffered, the one who was put in the cross, and in the grave, on the cross, in the grave, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be, be accounted righteous. Isaiah talked about the death of Christ in Isaiah 53, 1 to 9, and 9, 10, 11, and 12. He spoke of the resurrection. So the resurrection was not new to the apostles because Isaiah had said it. So when Jesus said to the, apostles, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, don't you know the scriptures? They should have known it because it was there. Whenever you read in the Bible, the scriptures is talking of the Old Testament. Old Testament. The New Testament was not yet written. That was going to come later on. And so here we have the prophets, David, Isaiah, speaking of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want you to consider with me, not only do we have the prophets speaking, we have the apostles speaking. And again, I hate to say this, time will not allow me to go through all this, but in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 32, Peter now, centuries later, he is speaking in the first century A.D., and he's going to quote what happened in the 10th century B.C. Listen to what he said. Acts chapter 2. God raised up, he's talking to, to the Jews of his day, God raised him up, loosing the pangs or the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him. Now, Peter is going to speak in Acts chapter 2 the words of David that was written 10 centuries before. Psalm 16 verse 10 is being quoted in Acts chapter 2. I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or to hell, 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now listen to this. Brothers, Peter went on, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. If you go to the tomb of David, you will find David. <laughs> Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Peter is saying to his contemporaries, when these words were written, when these, when these words were put in a scroll, they were literally not speaking about the time simply of David's existence, but a time later on when the real event would take place. He, Christ, was raised from the dead, and he was raised from the dead Please listen, because it was predicted. And God never predicts anything that cannot take place. He said it. And so you and I are living, my friends, this morning. We are connected with something that started before you and I were born. Yet the truth, the truth that was prophesied by by David and by Isaiah and by other prophets, pro proclaimed by Peter, is the same truth that you and I believe right now. The truth that made sense to them in anticipation is the truth that makes sense to us in remembrance. We remember that he died we remember that there was a Good Friday. But like the old preacher said, Good Friday was meant to remind us that Sunday was coming. Because God would not allow his son in the grave to see corruption. He had to be the Savior, not a sinner needing one. And so from the prophets to the apostles... Then later on, Paul is going to speak. And he said, I make known to you three glorious facts. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus is risen by the scriptures. By the scriptures. In other words, my friends, there are many books and literature that can be read, but none contains, may I use the word not even contain, none is what this book is. This book is the breath of God in letters. This book is called the scriptures because God breathed it, its content, its beginning and its end in pages for you and me to read.
The report came to us not by simply rumors, more than rumors. The report came to us by eyewitnesses. They were there. They saw it. So here we are then in the 21st century. What does this message have to do with us living in this technological age? Living in an age when we can fly to the moon. When, you know, I was telling someone this morning, uh, because we have been here since Friday, and, and we had a, a free stay at the hotel, you know, the big one down there. And, and we're, we're on the third floor. And so we're getting ready for everything this morning. And here's the age we're living in. I went to the third floor big window, got my, my key out to my car, and from the third floor, I just flip it twice, and then the button underneath, and guess what? My car started. <laughs> Man, what an age we're living in. Uh, it, it's, it's an exciting thing, isn't it? I listened to Dwayne talking this morning. He was talking about a trip he's going to take. And, and when he gets in, he's going from Seattle to New Orleans, and then he's going to get on a ship, and he's going to move through the Caribbean and so on. And I mean, those things were not even... When, when Dwayne was a boy, no one dreamt of those things. <laughs> I mean, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> What, what a tremendous age we're living in. But my friends, please listen to me. The resurrection is not about technology. The resurrection is not about science. The resurrection is about life. It's about death. And whether we live in the first century or the 21st century, we are concerned about life and death. That's why the, re the resurrection is relevant. That's why when St. Paul was writing, some 50 years after the fact, he could write with conviction because what people faced in the first century, people are facing today. Let me tell you something. The way people are able to face death without Christ is because they have gotten rid of Christ before they died. You cannot believe in Christ and not fear death because you've got to deal with how will he receive me? What will I do when I stand before him? But if I don't have to stand before him, then I don't need to worry about it. If there's no God, why worry about death and judgment? So the, 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 the resurrection is relevant, my friends, for three reasons from Romans chapter 1. Three great reasons. And I hope that God will drive it home to your heart and mind this morning. The first relevance of the resurrection is the uniqueness of the personality of Jesus. The uniqueness of the personality of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 3. Concerning his son who was born 
of the descendant of David. In that little phrase concerning his son who was born of the descendant of David, we have the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. We have one who is a man, but more than a man, not less. We have one who is the second person of the Trinity, but not less than God. The word son does not speak of one who came from a connection between two opposite sex. The word son is a, is a designation, the relationship that relates to. And in Jesus Christ, when the text says concerning his son, Jesus had to be both divine and human in order to accomplish what the cross required, what the resurrection required. He couldn't go to the tomb as God because God cannot die. He couldn't go to the tomb as a mere human because a human cannot pay for the price, of, the price for our sins. He had to go with this, this mysterious personality, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, the humanity and the deity. I've asked someone to help me with this, and who else would I go to to speak about the coexistence and the preexistence of Jesus in his mission James Stewart, he said this. When I speak of the mystery of a personality, I am thinking of the startling coalescence of contrarieties, connections, that you find in Jesus. He was the meekest and the lowliest of all the sons of men, yet he said that he would come on the clouds of heaven in the glory of God, he was austere, austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming, yet he was so genial and winsome and approachable that children loved to play with him, little one nestled in his arms. And his company in the innocent gaiety of a village wedding was like the sunshine. No one was ever so half kind or compassionate to sinners, yet no one ever spoke such red, hot, scorching words about sin. He would not break a, breed, a, a bruised reed, and his whole life was love. Yet, on one occasion, he demanded of the Pharisees how they expect to escape the damnation of hell. He was a dreamer of dreamers and a seer of vision. Yet, for sheer stark naked realism, he has all the self-styled realists beaten. He was the servant of all, washing the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode in the temple, and the hustlers and the traders fell over one another in their mad rush to get away from him. There is nothing in history like the union of contrast that confronts you in the gospel. The mystery of Jesus is the mystery of a personality. My friends, if a mere man went into that tomb, we wouldn't be celebrating anything today. If God went into the tomb, we'd say, well, he could do it, so what's the difference? 
He had to become like you and me, and we had to see him, as Isaiah said. Nobody believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He was just as plain as anybody else. But that was not the case. The resurrection is going to prove differently. The uniqueness of his personality. The uniqueness of the personality made the resurrection possible because Paul wrote in Colossians 2.9, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells. There is something mysterious about his personality. And one day we see him walking on the sea, and the next day we see him asleep in a boat. Contrast, but real. Secondly, the uniqueness of Jesus' Jesus's power. Not only his personality, his power. Listen to what the text says. Again in Romans chapter 1. He's the son of God who was declared the son of God with power. With power. What, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. In John 2, in John 2, 19, we read, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us that these things will happen? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was talking of his resurrection. You will kill me. You will put me in the grave. But I guarantee you, three days I will rise. That's power, friends. See, we have power today that can destroy things. But we don't have power that can bring things together. When Putin said that he had a, a nuclear weapon that can destroy without knowing it, that's one kind of power. And when he said that, when he declared it a couple of weeks ago, I heard it on the radio and I said, I'm thankful that I know a power greater than his. You will recall... Several, several years ago when Sputnik 1 went up, those of you that are born after that period, ask someone who was born before that period. When Sputnik went up, the Russian Sputnik uh, pilot said, we went up there and we didn't see any God. <laughs> J. Vernon McGee said, my friends, you didn't go high enough. My friends, when we talk of power, we only think of that which destroys. Listen to Jesus in John 10, 18. No, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus was not murdered. A person is murdered when they're unaware of someone trying to get to them secretly. Jesus surrendered himself. That's why when they went to the, to the center cross, he was already dead because he gave up the ghost. Nobody killed him. If you want someone who is respons responsible for the death of Jesus, the cause is sin and the grave was his own father. It pleased the father to bruise him. Jesus had the power not only 
to endure the wrath of God, but to overcome man's greatest enemy, death. I spent some time on the internet looking for a song that would, would help us all, and most of you will remember this. Go ahead. Drive the nails through my hands. Laugh at me where you stand. Go ahead and say it isn't me. The day will come when you'll see. Because I'll rise again. There's no power on earth that can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Jesus had the power. Listen, go. Lois and I traveled to Jerusalem some years ago, and then we traveled to England, London, London England, and, and we went to certain graves, and there, there's a group of people in the 18th, 19th century known as the Covenanters. And, and we went to see them. You, tremendous story about these dedicated Christians in Scotland. And, and we went to some of the graves. One of the things I, I do when I go to places, I look for graves. I, I want to see how long they have been there. But my friends, if you go to the grave of John Kennedy... Ronald Reagan, if you go to the grave of Abraham Lincoln, the bones are still there. Because that's what happened to man. Death kept them in the ground. You go to, you go to Jerusalem, and whether it is the true place or not, we don't know, but that's what they say. And I remember, remember standing out and trying to envision what John did that day when he ran to the grave. John looked in, and the place where they laid him was unoccupied. He wasn't there. Because God would not leave his son in the grave to see corruption. If he had been there, my friends, if that, if that stone was still covering the shame and the lies of God because Christ was in the tomb, you and I would have nothing to celebrate today. You and I would not be able to look face in the death and welcome it because we are, we are able to say, it is better to die and to be with him. That's what, that's what John said. That's what Paul said. You know, in the Da Vinci Code, he speaks about the bones of Jesus found somewhere in Spain. It must be in his backyard. I don't know where. Because Jesus is not dead. Jesus is not hiding someplace, my friends. You know, you know who were the first, I, I, if I may be contemporary for a moment, you know who were the first responders to the resurrection? Angels. It was the angel who sat at the right hand and said to the women who were the second responders. He's not here. Listen to what they said. He is risen just as he said. 
the uniqueness of the power of Jesus. Go ahead. Say that I'm dead and gone. But you will see that you were wrong. You know, last night, just before I went to bed, I looked, watched the news, and they were bury, burying the, at the funeral of Richard Hawkins. And there was this man who said there was no God and that life is all it is now. And then he promised us that life is going to get worse later on and we better make, we better make peace with whatever is out of space because they might be more powerful than we are. And I thought to myself, isn't that amazing? Make peace with them out there and we can't even make peace with ourselves. <laughs> but that's what he said. And there were hundreds of people weeping at his funeral. And rightly so. I'm not, I'm not poking fun at it, my friends, but he has told us something that has damned the souls of many for the rest of their lives unless they come to this risen Christ. That's what the Bible says, not what this church says, not what I say. Go ahead. Try to hide the sun. But all will see that I am the one because I'll come again. And listen to what he said now. I will come again to take my people home. That's how relevant the resurrection is. The resurrection is not that we go into a grave. I was telling the sunrise service people this morning when Mary was holding on to Jesus and Jesus said, don't hold on to me that way, Mary. You know why? Because Mary was going to say, was trying to say, I don't want this to happen to you again. And Jesus was saying, Mary, this is not the end. The goal of the resurrection is not for you to hold on to me. The hold, the, the hold of the resurrection, please listen. The hold of the resurrection, the entire event was so that I would rise and take you to God. That's the goal of the resurrection. It's not for you to hold on to me here, to keep me here. There's still corruption. There's still nastiness in this world. Ah, but where the, the Son of God is going, he, will, he died and He rose according to the Scriptures that He might take us to God. He has come to take His people home. The uniqueness of the personality of Jesus the uniqueness of the power of Jesus, and lastly, the uniqueness of the purity of Jesus. Listen to the text again. He was raised from, uh, before I, I say that, the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. I was thinking of this as I was preparing this over the last several days. Purity talk about morality. It talk about that which is good, reportable. And isn't it amazing that one of the things that Hollywood is looking to produce before you and me today is morality. My friends, it doesn't come from man. No man, including the one that is speaking to you at this moment, no man, no woman is pure. Purity can be found only in Jesus Christ. He walked with sinners but never sinned. 
He talked with sinners but never participated. He was pure, undefiled, separate from sinners. And when he went into that grave, he had to go as a sinless sacrifice if he would be raised from the dead. If he, if God looked into that, that, that grave and saw corruption, it was because the one who laid there was guilty of sin, but there was none. And how important, how relevant is that today? We want morality in the pastorate, of course. We want morality in politics. We want morality in our homes, in the workplace. And only as the risen Christ lives within us and works through us and taking us to the places where we spend our lives can we take morality and ethics and purity with us. Jesus was the one who is pure. That's what John said. The one who is coming back is pure. And we should be pure as he is pure. The son of God, because of his personality, because of his power, because of his purity, was raised from the dead. He was declared. That word declared. We get our word horizon from that word. It, it means to see the limit or to, so, to be attested to. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, God showed that Jesus was indeed a man among men. That Jesus was indeed purity among impurity. That Jesus was indeed power that brings together, that saves, that delivers, not power that destroys. So when he was declared, he was marked out as the resurrection would mark him. Every other man, a woman who has died, save to Enoch and Elijah, God took them up. Signs of the resurrection, by the way. But every other man, every woman is in the grave, no matter who they are. No matter how powerful, how educated, how poor, peasant, plebeian they are, they're in the grave. But my friends, I'm going to tell you what the resurrection means. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, one day, He's going to come again. And, and, he, and he's going to say, as he did before, Lazarus, come forth. And who came? Lazarus. He said to Mary, Mary. And Mary said, my Lord and my God. Listen, in that day when Christ comes again and he calls your name, will you be able to answer? Will you be able to say, I know that voice. I have trusted him. I have followed him. I have fallen seven times, but he picked me up and he assured me, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 
so that even when we fall, he stands ready to pick us up because that's what a risen Savior was raised to do. He did it for Peter, and he can do it for anyone in here this morning. The scriptures from the prophets, from the apostles, from the preacher who speaks to you this morning. It wasn't the prophet's words. It wasn't the apostle's words. It's not the preacher's words. It is the word of God. Do you believe it? When he comes and calls your name, will you be able to answer? If not, my friends, this morning you can answer by responding to him, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and you are raised again for my justification. I thank you. I receive you as my Savior. Come and live within me that I might live for you. Father, may that be the prayer of anyone who is without the Savior this morning, that they might be able to leave this place and live for the rest of their lives, walking with him who said, I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And because I live, you will also live. Even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.